Thank you, Pastor. I guess he uh, talked about being faithful to the end twice. <laughs> so I, I might be closer than I think. I don't know. Uh, but the end for a child of God, that's the beginning, man. Well, it's going to be really good once you die. You ever think about that? We look about it as, a, oh, boy, I really hate to do It's going to be wonderful as a Christian. I mean, we're going to be someplace with, uh, I've got really, I've got more friends in heaven, I think, than I got here on earth. And just wonderful people and uh, men that I uh, venerated and thought a lot about and was encouraged by them. And they've all gone to glory, left me behind. But I'm looking forward to it. I've never been 74 years old before, so I don't know how I'm supposed to feel or act, but I'm going to fake it, I guess, whatever. But it is good to be here. It's been a blessing to be here. We've got a good crowd tonight, preacher. I think we've about... I don't know, maybe two or three hundred more than we had last night. That's the way, that's the way evangelists talk, you know, <laughs> evangelistically speaking. But uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. It's kind of a synonymous with lying when you say that. But we do have a better crowd tonight, and I appreciate it. And I'm glad folks can come from work and starting at 6.30. That uh, just could happen. And the traffic around here is quite interesting. And this cattle trail that you have to... Uh, drive to get here. I mean, to tell you, I couldn't hardly believe it. Uh, we come in here in the dark Saturday night. I don't know where in the world I was or where he's taking me. He put me over here. and I killed a huge spider today in my room. I mean, it was a big one. It wasn't a tarantula, but it was a real sh- close, close to it. <laughs> Cousin, you know. It was as big as a quarter. I don't know if I'd seen one like that. I'm glad my wife wasn't here. We'd be leaving. <laughs> she does not like spiders. I have no idea why, but anyway, I don't like them either. But I want you to look in your book, if you would, tonight to the 19th chapter of the book of John. The 19th chapter of the book of John. And I want to read just three verses, and then I want to talk to you for a little bit on what I feel like the Lord would have me discuss with you this evening. John chapter 19 and verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. I want to talk to you tonight on the cost of the cross and the price of your cross. The cost of the cross and the price of of your cross. Let's bow our head and pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would revive us, revive us individually, uh, revive us corporately as a group. I pray that you would revive your work here in this place. Help folk not to be discouraged but encouraged. Help people not to be unfaithful, but to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to make us stronger, deeper, 
more profound commitment to you. And as we contemplate tonight the cross and this little vignette, just a three-verse portion of the exchange between John the Beloved and Jesus and Jesus' mother. I pray you'd help me tonight and use me, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Initially tonight, I would like us to consider the inconvenience of the request. I thought about it. Why in the world didn't, you know, Jesus had four half-brothers, according to Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3. Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was supernaturally born. I wonder why none of those four boys stepped up and said, I'll help mom. I'll take care of her. Don't worry about it. I wonder where the daughters were. The Bible doesn't say how many there were, but it's plural. So at least a couple of girls. Why, why didn't they step up and say, I'll, I'll take care of mom. But John willingly took on this obligation. Now I want to ask you tonight, in the light of the cross, what could Jesus ask of you to do that would be too much? What, what could he request of you that from our perspective it would be unreasonable because of what he's done for us? Would not we be willing to be inconvenienced for him? You know, our forefathers took longer getting to church than we're willing to stay in church nowadays. They had to ride a horse and buggy or walk a mile or two or ten to get to the revival. I'm, I'm not berating anybody that's here. I'm glad you're here. But God help us, I think we get in too big of a hurry at church sometimes. My father died last year at 94 years of age. Uh, my mom died when she was just a 45-year-old girl. And uh, three of us, three older boys, we were married when mom died. There was three children still at home. My dad was single for nearly nine years and he met a lady. Uh, she was a preacher's wife. He had been killed in an accident with a vehicle. And uh, they were married longer than my mother and dad were married, married a long time. In the last four years of my dad's life, he was a handful. <laughs> he couldn't walk. He was in very difficult physical condition all the time. She cared, that lady cared for him. Uh, like any woman, I guess, would care for someone in that condition when they really loved them. But more than once in talking to them, I would call the house and sometimes she would answer and other times he would answer. And inevitably we would communicate and I would thank her for taking care of dad. And, and she would say this, and I want to quote just exactly what she would say. She would say, Tim, 
I feel it as my ministry to care for God's servant. I don't think she, when she married my dad, my dad was maybe 50, she was maybe 45, somewhere in there, when they got married. I don't don't think she anticipated ending up taking care of this man who ultimately was a handicapped man for the last four years of his life, but diligently and faithfully and lovingly she cared for that man. Jesus said to John, Behold my mother, take care of mom. And he did it. My oldest son, who's now 50 years of age, when he was a 14-year-old boy, he had a cerebral hemorrhage. I may have mentioned it casually in a sermon this week. And he was paralyzed on the whole right side of his body. We spent 17 months in the hospital in therapy with that kid. It happened on a Wednesday night. I was preaching in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, he was uh, on the championship Babe Ruth baseball team. He'd had practice. I picked him up from practice, went to church about 70, 80 miles away. And... Uh, I preached. I just fell in the pulpit for the preacher that day. I don't know where he was. They lived right next door to the church. And so the pastor's wife invited us to come over to the house for that wonderful Baptist after church delicacy, chocolate cake and red jello. And I don't know. I've had that so much in my life. It probably got red jello in my veins all the time. But uh, we went over there, and the boys, they gulped theirs down. They were out in the backyard, probably throwing a football around, something like that. Uh, Maybe a baseball. I don't know what they were doing. It was in May, probably a baseball and a bat and playing. And I'm sitting there, and my wife's sitting there, and the pastor's wife, and we're talking. And there was about two or three steps up uh, to the kitchen from the driveway. And my son, 14 years of age, burst through the screen door and There on the floor he was. And I looked down at that kid and the first thought that went through my mind is why in the world when we're out in public do you have to act like your mother's side of the family? (laughs) And I looked at that boy and he had such a strange animal-like look in his face. And I said to him, I said, son, can you hear me? Just went like that. I said, son, because he couldn't speak. I said, son, if you can hear me, would you take my hand? He reached out with his left hand. He was paralyzed on the right side. Just about squeezed that hand off. Long story short. In the next 11 days, he had four brain surgeries. When Sunday morning rolled around, we would get up at 7, go. uh, He was in the pediatric intensive care. There was just 10 beds in there. He was one of the 10. He had uh, three of his roommates die, kids his age or younger while we spent those days, those weeks in the hospital. And so Sunday rolled around and I said to my wife, I said, uh, you, you going to church? We're staying in a Ronald McDonald house. And uh, she said, I'm not going. I'm going up to the hospital and stay, stay with Jordan. And she had a mother's heart. I said, well, I'm going to go to church. And I had noticed a church right there on the campus of the University of Michigan Hospital I don't know what kind it was. I don't know what kind it was to this day. But I went. They didn't have our Bible. They didn't sing our songs. But I just always go to church on Sunday morning. 
The next Sunday rolled around, and I said to my wife, I said, going to church? She said, no, I'm, I'm going to be with Jordan. It was 7 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. Every day we just were there with him. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to go. I, I said, there's a, there's a, I didn't want to go to a church where I knew people because I didn't want to answer questions. I didn't want to talk to people about it. I, I was just a 38-year-old kid. I was just a young, we, and she, my wife was three years younger than me. We were just kids ourselves. And so I went to a church. I drive by it every once in a while going to Michigan. It was a, I don't know, a Nazarene church or a holiness church, something like that. And they sang our songs and they had our Bible and it kind of helped me that morning. The next Sunday I said, I'm going to go to a church where I know someone will preach to me and uh, really nail me and help me. And so I went to a church where I had preached before. And I sat way in the back, the pastor building about this size, he recognized me and I had to come up and talk a moment. And I, I didn't want to talk. I don't know if you ever get in a situation like that, but I don't ever want to get to one again. And I said a little bit of nothing. And uh, I sat down and listened to the sermon. When it was over, there was a lady that played the piano. Beautiful uh, lady, beautiful white hair. Uh, you know, I, w- I was getting my hair cut about two years right now, two years ago. And the guy in front of me had hair about the color of mine. And it looked like there had been about 10 people before us at I mean, it was just, it looked like snow on the ground. And so I'm going up to the chair. He's leaving the chair. And I said to the barber, I said, you must have had a bunch of old white-haired codgers in here today. And the guy behind me said, hey, buddy, we don't have white hair. We have Arctic blonde. <laughs> I've been, you know, I've had a lot more fun since I've been an Arctic blonde. I'll tell you that right now. And I'd never heard that term before, but I have now, and you have too. And uh, this lady came, a white-haired lady, and she met me about right there. And she said to me, and this, and I bristled, I'll just be honest with you. She said, I know how you feel. And I'm thinking, you don't have any idea, lady, how I feel. But she said, I know how you feel. She said, my daughter when she was 10 or 12 years of age, was up in a barn and she fell from way up in the rafters and hit her head. And for 41 years, I've had to bathe her every day. I feed her like a baby every day. I change her clothes every day for 41 years. You look at, (laughs) I've been at it for three weeks. She'd been at it for 41 years. She knew a whole lot more than I did about what we were facing. But you take the love of a mother for a child, 41 years, an invalid. You take a mother for a child that doesn't want to leave the hospital room while they can be with their child. I got a preacher friend in Cincinnati. They had a boy came down with spinal meningitis uh, when he was just a matter of a few days old, uh, Chad died when he was about 32 or 33 years of age. I went to his funeral. But his mother was out of his presence for 48 hours in all of those 32, 33 years. 
She never left his side. Here's a parent for a child, a husband for a mate, a wife for a maid. And here's our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could we not be inconvenienced just a little bit for him? Then I want you to think about the inconsideration of the expense. Now, how long did John have to care for Mary? I don't know. There was no social security in those days. John was a preacher in a fledgling church. You think about starting a new church. History tells us he pastored the church at Ephesus. He died on Patmos. But friends, tonight in the light of the price that was paid for our redemption, how much should we be willing to expend for him? How far ought we to be willing to go for him? You know, I think people want to see sacrifice in us. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, a disciple is not above his master, nor a servant above his Lord. When I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, some 35 years ago this month, I met a man in the church that uh, we attended where I was asked to come and uh, do some things that never really worked out, but... uh, Uh, We were there, and I met a wonderful man, and his name was Bob Hayes. Do you know Bob Hayes, preacher? I think he might have preached up there where you went to college a time or two, way back. Bob was just a great man. The first time I heard him preach, he said this. He said, in September of 1948, my wife Alice and I went to the mission field of Ghana, West Africa, commissioned by the Parr Memorial Baptist Church in Petoskey, Michigan. When I heard him say that, my ears perked up. For in September of 1948, in the Parr Memorial Baptist Church in Petoskey, Michigan, my mother and dad were married on the 5th of September, 1948. 365 days later, I discovered America. Boy, that took a little while to go through the crowd, didn't it? And so when the service was over, I went to Brother Hayes and we talked. And we kind of, we, we became friends. He was obviously much older than me. But we became, we were almost bosom buddies. We thought a lot in, in regard to ministry about the same more than the other people that seemed to be around us there. It was just a great, great man. I loved him. And he had spent the bulk of his life as a missionary in Ghana and started churches and did wonderful things. Well, one day a man called me on the telephone from Houston, Texas, and I think he was a little intimidated by Brother Hayes. I don't know why, because he was a rough and tough old uh, Texas cowboy at one time. 
And I think Brother Hayes, I think they had heard about each other's reputation. And Brother Hayes was a little bit intimidated uh, by this cowboy preacher uh, from Texas. And so the cowboy preacher asked me, he said, would you be willing to accompany Brother Hayes and come to our mission conference and preach? And we'll have him preach. And I said, I'd be glad to. And so Brother Hayes and I flew down there together and we were there in the services. And Brother Hayes uh, preached a message uh, one morning in that mission conference. And I'll just give you some of the thoughts. There, you know the story in uh, Luke chapter 9. It's in another one of the Gospels about, you know, the, Jesus had some fellows come around and, and they wanted to follow him. They, they wanted to serve him. One of the guys said, Lord, I will follow thee. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not any place to lay his head. And so the guy didn't go. I think. And Brother Hayes, he illustrated that. He said uh, his wife, Alice and him, they went to West Africa, took a boat back in those days. He had gone over there before, at not necessarily a survey trip, but a preparatory trip. And he had gone there and gone to the village they were going to start, had some men build a house for Alice uh, to live in. When they got there with all of their worldly goods and they were there in the capital, Accra, for a while. And then finally, uh, he said, now, I'm going to take everything there, Alice. I don't know why a man would do this. But he said, Alice, I'm going to go there. I'm going to set up everything uh, for you. I want you to come into this far distant land. I want to take care of you. And so he took all of their worldly goods to unpack them, put them away as a man would do. And she, you know, be almost impossible to do. Came back happy about it. I got everything fixed up for you, dear. They, they go back there within two or three miles of the place where they're going to be and a runner comes. And he said, Brother Bob, men came to your home last night, burn it to the ground. You have absolutely nothing left. Nothing left. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But Jesus had no place to lay his head. And neither did the Hayes. And then there's that next little verse that talks about guy wanted to go. But he said, uh, 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 I'll follow you, but I, I want to first go say goodbye to my dad. Brother Hayes told about several years into the, maybe 30 years on the field. And he came back and his dad lived in Miami and he went to see his dad. And his dad said, Bob, I don't want you to go. I'm sick. Don't go back. He said, I may never see you again. But he, he said, Dad, I, I got to go. And so he went. And, of course, they weren't there in Accra for very long. And his father died. He talked about coming back and visiting his dad's grave and uh, that kind of thing. And then that last little part of that story, you know, another said, I'll follow thee. But, you know, first let me go bid farewell to those uh, there at home. He said they were on the field. It was Christmas time. Their daughter was going to some Bible college up here in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he called home, you know, the time difference, figured out when it would be. He called the dormitory and surprised uh, his daughter uh, answered the telephone. He said, how come you're answering? You know, usually in a dormitory, somebody answered. They call, call your name and kid come running. And back when they had, you know, just had uh, pay phones. And so he said, uh, she started crying when she heard her daddy's voice. And he said, what's wrong, dear? 
You see, Daddy, everybody else is gone. They went home. Some of them had friends. They went to their friends' home. He said, Daddy, I'm the only one here in this dormitory, and I'm all alone. There may be some expense. There may be a price to be paid. But in the light of the cross, and the one who died on that cross on Calvary, it's not a big price. Bob was probably 80. He, his son and his daughter were both missionaries there working with the several village churches that they had. And uh, he wanted to go back one last time. And so he did. Alice didn't go. She uh, was not, uh, her health was uh, not that good. And uh, so he, he went alone. Coming back to the airport uh, to catch the plane to fly back to America about four or five o'clock in the morning. It was dark. A semi-tractor trailer came across the white line and hit their car head on. Bob died. John died. And the daughter died. I went to the funeral. I, I was not a member of that church at the time, but I went to the funeral and I walked down the aisle. It's a large church, probably auditorium seat, a thousand. And I walked down the aisle, and Alice Hayes saw me. I, I loved her. She loved me, precious, darling lady. She came running across the front of the church. There's a casket here, closed, obviously. And a casket there, closed, obviously. And a casket there, closed. She came up to me and said, Oh, Brother Tim. Isn't it wonderful? My husband and my children all got to go to heaven together. In the light of the cross. And the price that was paid for our redemption. How can we say no? How can we say I'm too busy? How can I say I'm not interested? In the light of the cross. Perhaps the previous illustration would be better at this point, but I close with the incomparable sacrifice of our Savior. I read today in a little booklet your pastor gave me a quote by Tozer. He said, no one ever compromised with a cross. For the cross was death. Can you see him on the cross? The reason, listen, the reason as a preacher, as a Christian, to go and do anything is because of the price that was paid on Calvary for our sins. I have a little magazine comes to my house, I think monthly, maybe bi-monthly now. And a friend of mine wrote this article. Uh, the title's The Demands of Calvary. I just want to read you a paragraph. A missionary returning from Africa during the early stages of World War II went down to the bottom of the ocean in an ill-fated ship. She was a submarine, a U-boat, sunk the ship that she was on. In one of the last letters that she wrote, 
These are the words. The gift of forgiveness has become exceedingly precious to me when I ponder the cost of Christ to pardon mankind. God had to curse his only child to free me from the curse of sin. To lay nothing to my charge, he charged his own son with all the guilt a sinful world could produce. To give me a mother's care, he forsook his son in his hour of loneliness and need. To give me a taste of the sweetness of heaven, he caused his son to taste the bitterness of hell. To fill my heart with all the peace it can contain, he filled the heart of his son with all the agony it could contain. Oh, the fathomless love of the father's heart for me, a sinner sunk in the fathomless, in fathomless sin. Pray for me that God may get all out of my life that Calvary can get out of it. And that in me and through me, he may see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Would you, in your mind and in your heart, this evening say, I mean in the silent depths, the deepest part of your being, would you say to him, I will do anything for you. For what you've done for me. I have a friend. His name is Johnny. He's an ex-Marine. He was a lifer. He got out of the Marines and he went to uh, embalming school. And he's an embalmer now. I met Johnny at a church in northern Ohio. He now goes to a church close to me in southern Ohio. He's just a precious man. Never been married. I don't believe he might, he might have lost a wife maybe somewhere down the road of life as a Marine. I, 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 don't, I, I never ask him that really. But he was never married uh, while I've known him the last decade or more. But Johnny went to a church that I preach revivals in where the pastor, your pastor, I'm just going to give him uh, some kudos tonight. He's one of the kindest pastors in communicating to you people that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm proud of that I know him and I've got to know him in these days. But I used to go to that church. His pastor was the meanest, the most complainingest, that's a word, the most cantankerous preacher I have ever met in my life. And I've met two or three thousand <laughs> we went I was there uh, they have like a prophet's room like you do it was down the basement of the church in the catacombs and uh, I'll, I'll just leave that part but we come back from lunch the pastor and I we came back from lunch one day and Johnny he didn't have to Johnny just he was in the, he was, hadn't become an embalmer yet I don't think and he was just doing stuff around the church. He was mowing the lawn. He didn't have to do it. He just did it. And the preacher jumped out of his car. And Johnny had just turned the mower off. And there were some grass clippings on the sidewalk. And that preacher got out. And he harangued him. And uh, I mean, just let him have it. What's wrong? Won't you get a broom? He hadn't even just the mower just been turned off. I sat there appalled. Uh, 
down the road of life, going back there another time, Johnny bought the preacher uh, a nearly brand new truck, about a year old truck. And the preacher complained about it because it didn't have that little uh, blue stuff or whatever, you know, the, across the top of the, the windshield. And so the pastor was gone. Now, I don't know how Johnny did this. May have had a key to the truck. He went over and, and he got the truck. And while the preacher was gone on vacation, he went and had the windshield put in. And the preacher complained because it wasn't dark enough. That little bit. And Johnny didn't have to do that. But he just did it. He paid for it. Took care of it. Why would someone do something like that? I think because of the cross. I think because of our Savior. You know, I preached in that church, I don't know, four or five revivals. I haven't been there in probably a decade now. We had one great revival night there. I preached on bitterness. I haven't preached on it this week. I try to usually. Because I think it's the besetting sin of us Baptists. We're bitter about stuff. I mean, stuff that's hard to go through, but we're bitter. We let that bitterness just eat our lunch. And it's a killer. I preached on bitterness. And the preacher was bitter towards the people. Now, that's hard to imagine. This guy that talked the way he did and treated people, he'd be bitter at them. I think it would be great if all of them were bitter at him. But he was moved that night. And uh, he got in front of the pulpit. I was still standing in the pulpit, and he kind of stopped the service. He said, I've been bitter. I've been bitter at people in this church. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I'm saying, amen, you're right, buddy. And I, so I just, when he got done saying, I said, listen, folk, now what you need to do is congregation about this size. And just about spread out about just exactly like this building tonight. And I said, your pastors ask your forgiveness. And you, I would like folks that you have a need to, would you come and tell your preacher that you forgive him? And maybe you could ask him to forgive you for whatever you've done. And, and people, every, really just basically everybody in the building came. And the guy at the end of the line, he was the guy. He was, and I didn't know it. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what's going on. And him and the preacher got right that night. And we had revival that night. Had revival that night. There's such eternal dividends. John, would you take care of mom? Could you imagine how wonderful that would have been? To have the mother of our Lord living in your home. Could you imagine them talking about the miracles? Could you imagine them talking about the birth? And the things that tr- transpired that we know about in the Bible that weren't even written in the Bible until after she died, probably. I don't know. My wife and I, we used to sing duets. We don't sing it. I don't. I, I can't sing anymore. My wife can still sing, but we're both getting up in age, so our voices are nowhere near what they used to be. 
But we used to sing together and uh, one little song we used to sing. I don't know if I can sing it or I'll just quote it. But it goes like this. To be used of God to preach, to sing, to pray. To be used of God to so show someone the way. I long to feel the touch of his consuming power. To be used of God is my desire. Not as a singer, but just as a Christian. To be used of God. You know, if you still got your book open, you can just go over to the other side. At least in my book, it's that way. Chapter 20 and verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Those disciples were empowered. And you know, within 60 days, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost there at the day of Pentecost. And wonderful things transpired from those men's lives. You know, Jesus did not say that our cross would not be heavy. But he did promise to help us bear it. He did not say that our hearts wouldn't be broken. But he did say he'd be there to mend them. He did not say that things wouldn't be rough. But he's proved it o'er and o'er. And one day he'll really prove it. At the end of the road, things are really going to smooth out. (laughs) And we get the glory. When we see our loved ones. We see our Savior. And our little ship of Zion, however it works out. Drops us off there at the port. (laughs) They're on the river of life. And our loved ones are gathered on the shore. Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm really glad to see you guys. But I want to see Jesus. I want to get to him. See his smiling face. See his hand, that nail scarred hand reach out for me. In the light of the cross, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. The truth of the fact that he shed his blood for us. I, don't, I ought not to have, I ought not to desire, I not, ought not to need any other motivation than what he has done for us on Calvary.